Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Hello, welcome back. Two Hi. weeks in a row, baby! We're basically professional podcasters at this point. <clears throat> We're going to hit 200 this year, allegedly. Allegedly, yeah. Let's let's not make any big commitments to uh, our ability to record, like, what, 15 episodes in the next 10 months. Yes. Uh, I reckon we can get there, but, you know. We'll do our best for the people. Yeah, for, for the, the people. people. For the fans. How are That's you, my friend? Life is good. I am... Uh, finally dialing in all my fancy coffee toys that i ordered recently to increase the amount of time i spend making espresso for very minor improvements in quality that most people can't actually tell the difference but i just enjoy the process um, nice which has been fun using everyone's favorite coffee beans from our good friends at prism coffee co i just got hand delivered a bag of Fancy new P&G coffee I haven't Ooh. tried yet that I'm excited Ooh. to. But you know it's good when it comes in a bag without a label or in this case a handwritten label. That's yes. how you know you're getting the good shit before it's released to the general public. But when it is released and it has a name, I'll happily recommend everyone buys it. So you, with the new fancy tools that maybe not everyone tells the difference, can you tell the difference? I'm not convinced I can, but it makes it more fun. <laughs> it seems like it's more consistent. Like, uh-huh. uh, I don't think my palate's particularly well refined. So I'm, I'm no expert cupper, as they call coffee tasting. Um, but it's certainly more consistent. Like, I'm, mm. I'm having a much better time of getting really consistent shots out of it. Um, I am getting a fancy set of scales like uh, Sam's got. Um, but nice. John is John is getting them for me at a wholesale price, which is glorious. Because uh, the scales I've got at the moment are a bit inaccurate, that and that means measuring the consistency is hard. Um, mm. But they're certainly tasting more consistent, and um, I'm having to make less adjustments on the fly, which is good. But also, I, and as I was saying to someone the other day, I like for me the, the like coffee's a hobby of mine. I enjoy mm. the ten minutes or so it takes to to make coffee for Sim and I in the mornings. And that's, it's sort of part of the ritual that I like. It's that very mindful thing where, you know, the, especially cause I've got a fucking commercial size grinder. That's quite loud. Um, I can't even really like listen to a podcast or do something while I'm doing it. I really just have to like make coffee. And so f- forcing me to be quite mindful like that, I really enjoy. And that just kind of adds to it really. Um, mm. It's just, it's just another process. So it's like a, I've got like a little magnetic dosing ring that clips onto the top of the thing. And then the group uh, basket, we've got a little, it's like, uh, it's called a WT or something, a WDT or something distribution tool that has like acupuncture needles in it. A little spiky and, thing. Yeah. And you like stir it all up. So it breaks up all the clumps. Uh, then I've got a different distributor that you put in and spin around and that flattens it all out. And then you tamp it all down. And um, yeah, it's like a whole you know 
involved process but that that's kind of the thing that i enjoy about it is, is that process so whether it actually makes any measurable difference for a pleb with a very unrefined palate um i'm not sure but i enjoy it and that's you know that's all i really care about yeah well it definitely makes a difference going from guessing everything to weighing yeah. everything so absolutely i've, I've learned that yeah. although i uh have gotten the habit I got these like lint chocolate flakes to make like hot chocolates. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I'm having an ice mocha every morning, and with actual proper coffee, it's quite delightful. Yeah, uh, I've Sim's been on a massive uh, ice latte kick, but with like a little dash of vanilla syrup in it. Yeah, nice. Um, and so yeah, she's all over those. Where I'm a very staunch, even in a 36 degree day, I'm still going to drink a double shot flat white because that's why I like drinking. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Anyway, speaking of all that rubbish, you should buy Prism Coffee using our code PeakSpeak and save yeah. yourself some money. Speaking of codes, I just saved myself $33 using yes. your code, buying yes. a new pair of shoes. Yeah, Vivo uh, Barefoot Shoes, which are shoes I've been wearing now like as my daily driver for ages mm. uh, that I maintain and I still tell people regularly they're the closest shoe I've ever found to feeling like I'm not wearing shoes while wearing shoes. Mm. Um, and as someone who likes to spend a lot of time barefoot, I find that very useful. Um, but they're also a spectacular training shoe. You got the Primus Lights, right? Yeah, so I've bought them specifically for deadlifting because I hate every, every deadlift shoe on the market. And I've got some Nike Hyper KOs, which are boxing shoes, uh, that when I bought them, I thought this will be cool. Um, they really suck for deadlifting. Yeah, like, right. They really suck. Um, they've got a really like fixed sole that is way too narrow and it rocks mm. quite a lot. It's yeah, got yeah. It, It's got really poor stability. And um, so... Uh, I'm unhappy with my ability to find anything that I like, and uh, I've worn a pair of of these of these Vivo barefoots. And now that I'm competing, I'm going to do the right thing and get my own instead of borrowing people's shoes on the day. Yeah, which they're done, um, which I've done for every comp between <laughs> now and uh, Pro Raw Eleven. Yeah, such a weirdo. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's they're definitely like. So I got them initially because I went through a, f a few different uh, like minimalist shoes for a while. I, like I wore some Innovates that my feet were just way too wide for. Like I went through wearing Nanos for a while, and they, even they got narrow. And I've got really wide feet, and so uh, for anyone who's got super wide feet. The Vivos are spectacular. They're one of the few shoes I can buy in the right size without having to go up to fit the width in. Um, and they're, especially the Primus Lights, which are like their sort of standard one, I guess. I've also got a pair of their Primus Trails, uh, which are just like knobblier, basically. But they've got no... Like, no padding in them. They're zero drop shoes. They're super thin. Like, you could roll them up into a ball if you needed to. Um, and because of that, they're a fantastic training shoe. Yeah. Uh, and especially for deadlifting and, like, sumo stuff where you want, like, enough width to actually plant your foot. But you also want the lateral stability of it as well. They're excellent. Yeah. So, interesting. interestingly, Meg bought me a pair a while ago. And uh, she bought me the, the true to size, like, 44 yeah uh and they were slightly too big so my foot would move around with them uh if yeah. i tried to deadlift so i returned them trying to get the size below and they didn't have the size below and the color i wanted for like a year and i gave up so yeah. I've, I've only just revisited now and committed because i remembered your that you had a code so yeah, early so 2602 use it 
Yeah, at uh, Soul Mechanics, which is uh, so they've got an on uh, in person shop or two, I think, in Melbourne. But they've also got an online store and do delivery and stuff. So yeah, if you want to get on that, please feel free. Nice. All right. Now that we've hoard ourselves out to advertisements for attendance, let's talk Excellent. about powerlifting stuff. Yes. So you posted a video. Well, I very much doubt you post it these days because you've got a fucking empire to, to deal with. you got to make sure Henny knows what size shoes to buy. Um, but uh, you posted a video, the Zero Page posted a video the other day uh, that was a clip from your podcast talking about uh, like accountability in coaching and training and the difference between people who maybe have the internal drive for continuing to work towards something and those that perhaps don't and... And, uh, and what you can do around that. So I thought we could have a pretty interesting conversation about that because I think, you know, the two of us are people with a level of internal drive because you don't get into the things that we got into and in the positions we're in now without that. Uh, and I think for a long time, that was the thing I really sucked at mm. uh, in coaching was helping people that don't have that. It was always mm. a case of like, you know, gyms like ours, especially early on in that period, they attracted people like us. They attracted people who were like, fuck yeah, this is my thing and I want to push towards working hard. And as I, I'm sure yours is the same, but as I've grown and my gym has grown, I've attracted an increasingly broad group of people and not all of them come to the environment with that internal drive set and ready to go. And the thing I think I, one of the things I think I sucked at for a long time was being a cheerleader in coaching, like being good at being like, hey, mm -hmm. you're doing great. Keep going. This is really excellent. You're making progress. Here's maybe some ways we can speed it up or improve it, but you're doing really well and helping people through that. And I think I've definitely gotten better at it over the years, but I wanted to sort of talk to you about maybe strategies you can use and, and the ways you can develop those skills as a coach, but also things that people on both ends of the spectrum can do to improve their ability to get the results they want in training. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I feel like um, a lot of really successful PTs are the PTs that have like a very uh, recent redemption arc, you know, where they've, they've gone from being very overweight and learned how to train and, and discovered a passion through fitness uh, and then really want to share that passion with other, others. And they tend to be really successful because they're not exceptional in terms of like their, their performance. And they have a, a huge amount of empathy for the people that have been where they are and want to get to where they are currently. Um, whereas, you know, lifters who have done really well and, uh, you know, gifted and have this uh, automatic intrinsic drive often make terrible coaches because yeah. they don't have the empathy or the foresight to be like, they, they can't meet lifters on that level. They can only be like, why why don't you want to train five days a week as hard as you possibly can? You know, wh why yeah. you're not committed, you're lazy. And most people are not lazy. No. Like j just because someone doesn't go to the gym doesn't mean they're inherently lazy. It just means that it's not as big a priority for them. They've got other priorities, other things on their plates. And so, uh, you know, getting better at working with people means meeting mm. them on their level. And a lot of the times it's understanding that the intrinsic drive comes as a matter of habit built over a long period of time and that the coach's journey is about learning how to help clients create habits that turn automatic it's yeah. like, it's it's what you talk about with like conscious competence almost but applied yeah. slightly differently 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, and it's one of those things that, like, you look at on reflection. And for me, actually, it's been, you know, the, the shift away from powerlifting in my own training has actually been really beneficial in that because I've, like, gone through a bunch of struggles around, you know, falling out of love with training, struggling really hard with training in a context where I don't have a fixed goal to work towards. It's the discussion we had in, on the last episode about like what I'm training for. I'm just kind of training for the sake of training and, and getting mm. back into that habit of it. Uh, but I know I certainly was frustrated early on in my coaching journey because I, like I've been an athlete my whole life. I've, I've been training to get better at things forever. That's been sort of second nature for me for a very long time. And not recognizing that not everyone or recognizing that not everyone has been through that journey uh, has been a really powerful realization. It's that empathy in, in, yeah, like this is hard and it doesn't always feel really good and you don't always want to do it. And I'm now at a point where like, like I did, I skipped training this morning. I woke up and was like, you know what? I'm going back to sleep for an hour and a half because I can't be bothered training. Maybe I'll make it up tomorrow. Maybe I won't. I Like I'm now at a point in my life where it's not that important. I just keep going, but having been at the point where it's like my whole life revolves around my training schedule and I've built my life around these are the times that I train and I don't do anything else and I say no to a bunch of things, for most people and especially the people I coach, and I'm sure Zero still very much attracts the the more committed end of the powerlifting athlete, but I coach a lot of general population, everyday people who just want to be fit and strong and healthy and maybe compete in powerlifting and having the empathy for them, but also like giving them permission to be like, you know what? Occasionally it is okay to skip a session and go out drinking with your mates and do things like that, but helping them reframe it away from this all or nothing approach that I know I lived for a long Mm. time has been a really, really important skill to develop. Mm. Yeah. And I I think a big part of it comes from, understanding that most people's goal is not elite performance yes uh and that uh, you know in order for them to reach what goals they have it's actually okay to slip up every now and again and and miss some sessions and not bring intensity to some sessions like obviously the harder they train the quicker they'll get the result all of that stuff matters uh but there's a there's a fine line between um between education and very negative reinforcement. Yes. And uh, it's really easy to beat your clients into the ground, telling them that they're doing the wrong thing or they're sabotaging themselves or whatever when they're just skipping a session because of whatever reason. Yeah, man. And I've even got to the point where like, I try not to use the term like missing sessions or skipping sessions or things like that because all of that language brings this connotation of you have to do that like if it do- if you don't do it like this it doesn't work and things like that where it's you know i can have a perfect four day a week training program but if in reality you can't actually consistently make it to four days of training a week you're not missing sessions i've just given you something that doesn't work for your context and mm. recognizing that in the broad scheme of things for most people like you said who aren't pursuing the elite end of performance it doesn't need to be perfect or even really close to perfect. It needs to be kind of in the right vicinity and then almost anything works over a long enough time scale. So if that person's willing to accept that that's what their process is going to look like, then giving them permission to, and it's not even giving them permission, but showing them it's okay 
to take agency over their own journey and be like, you know what, today isn't the day for training or my life got in the way and training's not my highest priority, so I'm not going to get it done today. Rather than like beating themselves up about, oh, well, I'm missing training and therefore I'm a failure and all of that kind of stuff because all of that then rolls deeply into your ability to do it consistently for a long period of time. And ultimately, regardless of what level you want to get to, consistency over time is the key. Like mm. you can't be good or even remotely good at anything without doing it consistently for a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, exactly what you just said. People have agency over their own decisions and your role as a coach is not to make the decisions for them, but to guide them in the best way possible to make the decisions in the best way possible for them. Yep. That came, out, that came out really funny, but you know what I'm saying? No, no I know exactly what you mean. One of my <laughs> favorite sayings, and I, like, I reckon I say it a dozen times a week or more, is I'm not your mother. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm here to show you the process we're going to go through to get you where you want to go and help you make those decisions. But I can't make the decisions for you. But also, more importantly, I'm not going to shame you for those decisions. I'm not going to be like, you're a bad person because you skipped this training session because you chose to go and hang out with your friends or anything like that. I'm going to hopefully, in as many cases as I can, be empathetic with your experience and your environment and help you see that what you did was the right thing based on the information you had at the time. You made the right decision and you're still moving forward. But I'm not here to, yeah, shame you into doing it or, like, you know, force you to do anything because in the end you're paying me to help you get where you want to go. And if you don't want to do it, like, sure, at a certain point I'm going to be like, well, it's nothing more I can fucking do for you here. Uh, but in most cases, if you have a, a conversation that shows you come from a place of empathy and understanding, that person's going to end up making a decision that's the best one for them at that time. Hmm. What would you say are some of the uh, some of the strategies that that coaches who don't quite get this can use to start to um, help their help their clients make the right decisions or uh, to to get away from uh, forcing themselves upon the clients in a way that then becomes negative. Like what's a, what are some strategies to communicate better? Well, so I think for me, it's been the framing the discussion around what do you want to get out of training first and foremost. So most of the people I speak to don't come to me with a fixed goal. They have this like broad understanding of what they want in that they want to be fitter and healthier and stronger and those sort of things. But they don't have a necessarily like a number or a, like it's it's more of these ideas, right? And so the thought experiment I like using is like, let's fast forward two years, assume everything's gone perfect in training and you've got all the results you wanted. Like what does life look like at that point? And what are the, where's training fit into your life? And what roles do you want it to be able to play? And what do you want to be able to do that isn't in a gym environment? And then being able to reverse engineer that process to be like, okay, well, you want to feel fitter, stronger, and healthier. Cool. To do that, you need to be someone who consistently trains, you know, however many times a week is, is valuable for you and your life scenario. One of the easiest ways to do that is just turn up that three days a week right and so the way i now talk to people about it is like even on the days where you don't want to and you know over 20 years of training i've had lots of days where i don't want to and lots of days where i didn't i've never regretted turning up for a session though i've only ever regretted not doing a session mm. and so the way i talk to people about it is like on those days 
where you like, especially if you train after work, which lots of people do where you finish work and you're like, absolutely. I cannot be fucked. Just drive to the gym. And if you pull into the driveway and you stop in your car and you're still like, you know what? I can't be fucked. Just go home. And like, it's totally okay to go home in that scenario and skip it and and move on. Maybe you get it done another day. Maybe you don't. Uh, But if you make it there and you're like, all right, well, I'm here anyway, walk in, start warming up. And in most cases, most people will start warming up and get through at least something productive. And then they've ticked the box of turning up. The goal doesn't have to be get an excellent training session in that early phase, especially if you're someone who's not already training consistently. The goal should be turn up consistently Mm. for weeks, you know, like three or four weeks where even if all you do is walk through the door, get changed, you're like, fuck it, I'm going home. Cool. At least you turned up, right? Like Mm. that's the first step in the habit. I think too many of us who in that early phase of coaching live a life where our life revolves around training and has for a consistent period of time the default is just turn up and do it anyway Mm -hmm. lots of people don't understand that it's okay not to do that and that you're not a failure if that's not the case because most of us are good enough at listening to our body and being like you know what today's not the day today's the day to go home and rest uh and Mm. i think helping them see that the all or nothing approach isn't the right way, that it's about stacking small wins over a long period of time. I think that's the most important part from my point of view, at least. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, fuck, what was I going to say? Can't remember. Uh, a lot of it, uh, it comes down to understanding that people's beliefs won't just change because you want them to change absolutely like like it's if we if we use an extreme example if i'm a muslim and you're a quick christian and i'm just sitting here and i say your beliefs are wrong mine are right you're just gonna go no wrong i don't yeah. believe you yeah um and so th- it's the same and so like people will make decisions based on their beliefs and so you know, most gen pop or most people who are new to training don't understand the mechanics around training and, and no. how it works and, and what's okay and what's not okay and all of that sort of stuff. So a lot of people will have the belief of, I'm meant to train three times this week. I can only make it once. What's the point in going? So therefore, I'm not going to go. And so unless you can help them change their own beliefs, not try and change their belief for them, but help them come to their own conclusion, uh, they're, they're just going to continue to believe that and it will just create this this air of frustration between you all the time. And there's there's this like belief breaking formula that's used a lot in sales where you will get the person to articulate, to actually explain what they believe about something. And then you'll go through the process of breaking that down, not telling them that they're wrong, not telling them what what exactly they should believe, but guiding them to see the bigger picture. So guiding them to say, okay, this is your belief. Why do you believe that? Um, and then explaining things logically or explaining things using the truth and explaining, essentially explaining why they're wrong without using that sort of language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you're going to explain to them what the truth is and what's right, uh, but that's not enough. Then you have to provide evidence of, of that thing existing. And so if you can if you can have these conversations that sort of get down to the, the, the heart of the issue, that's when you're going to see some belief change and that's where you're going to make some progress with people. And if you're the kind of person who just, again, you just have these habits ingrained, you won't see it like that because you can't fathom not having those habits ingrained. Yeah. Like the, most, the most beaten to death 
uh, analogy for this that I'm going to use anyway is brushing your teeth. Like I think of the times that you, you genuinely wake up or you genuinely are standing there getting ready or whatever. And you think, you know what? I really want to brush my teeth right now. You don't, you just kind of do it. You do it because you know, it's good for you. You know, you're meant to whatever it is. And if you have, uh, you know, you're, you're extremely tired before bed and you're like, I don't really, feel, I, can't, I just can't be bothered brushing my teeth. You probably just override that and do it anyway. Mm. You can probably talk yourself out of that. And that, that's like a really good picture of what intrinsic drive for training looks like for someone who's elite. I have plenty of sessions, especially now in the high end strength phases and coming towards peaking where I'll be sitting exhausted from whatever the squat session the day before. And I'm like, I could actually go without training. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to do nothing today. Uh, and I know that's just my brain being silly. It's like, well, no, I'm going to train because I've got a goal in mind and I'm, I'm just going to ignore that little voice. Uh, but by the same token, if you're sitting there at nighttime, you're like, I can't be brothered brushing my teeth. It's not like you're going to wake up and all your teeth are going to rot and fall out. Mm. You know, it's not going to be the end of the world. Uh, and there's very few times in life where you're going to think, I really want to brush my teeth. Like for me, it's the only time I think that is when I'm on a plane for fucking 14 hours. Yeah, yeah. Like, fuck, I just want to brush my teeth. Yeah. Um, and so like it, it's, it can be so hard to empathize uh, if you haven't experienced that or you haven't experienced it for a long time. Yeah. yeah I see this especially with coaches um, who work in the space of weight loss who have never been overweight. Yeah. Yeah. Like they cannot empathize the complexity that goes with or that comes with uh, people who have uh, poor impulse control. Yep. Like they just can't understand it. Or even, you know, beyond that, maybe genetically, uh, this person can't put on weight that well. And so they've never been overweight. So they can't fathom that other people put on weight. Yeah, man. All I have to do is think about food and I get heavy. Like <laughs> it's, and it, but also in that context, not having an empathy for the life experience that is like having lived your whole life being defined as being fat and like i've i've posted about this and talked about it a lot i'm still going through like really significant hang-ups of body image issues that have come from a lifetime of being fat and being like my so much of my life experience is based on i'm a fat person and that's you know that's how i've been defined forever and like i posted that fucking reel the other day uh comparing like a shot of me in 2015 to now mm. and like i'm genuinely at a point for the first time in my life where i like taking photos of myself without a shirt on because i look fucking jacked and i'm like sick this is amazing mm. for the other 33 and a half years of my life i have hated it like with a real passion. And so I completely understand what it's like to stand in front of a mirror and be like utterly disgusted by what you see. And if you've never been really big, doesn't matter whether you've trained hard or not, you haven't, you can't, like you cannot empathize with how fucking unpleasant that is as an mm -hmm. experience. And I think that's why, like you said, some of the best coaches are people who've gone through big redemption arcs, whether it's, because of life decisions and they've come back from it or because they've been fat and aren't anymore or, or whatever the case may be, injured and now not injured, like all of those things. I think so many of those struggles, if you let them, will help you be a far better coach than you could ever be before. Uh -huh. um, but just to come back to the more practical examples of like helping people form habits, one of the ways I like framing this discussion is especially for general population people, but I think even for someone who's like competing in powerlifting up until maybe like 
six, maybe 10 weeks out from a meet. In almost every case, the concept of a training week is entirely arbitrary, right? Like we plan training in seven week blocks because almost everyone we know exists in a world that um, that we coach exists in a seven day week. You know, your whole life is scheduled around that. And so it's just easier from that standpoint. But also like generally we charge by the week or the fortnight and things uh-huh. like that, right? So all of these are, are arbitrary markers that we put on it from a society standpoint that I think often play into that like, oh, I can only make it once this week. And so the training weeks are waste. Uh-huh. Rather than thinking about a training week, I like saying, well, okay, we've got three, your training program has three sessions in it. And yeah, there might be some progression across a block or maybe it's just, you know, an emerging strategies-esque, this is the same formula each week and you're just letting it up and down as it goes. Regardless, you've got three sessions and maybe between the days of Monday and Sunday this, this week, you did one. Well, then the next training session you do is just session two. Uh-huh. It's not, I have to start the next week or even I have to move to the next week. It's, I did session A this week. Next week, I start with session B and it's not even next week. It's just next time I'm in the gym. And mm-hmm. so that might mean over the course of six weeks, instead of getting three sessions a week, you get an average of two and a half, but you, and maybe you only got through four and a half weeks of your six week training block. But for the vast majority of people, that doesn't fucking matter at all yeah. because you're not training to any fixed date. And I say that the exception to this is powerlifters in the last little bit of a training prep. Even then, like most you know, beginner intermediate lifters probably doesn't actually matter that much until the last couple of weeks. Mm. More elite, yeah, sure. The, the further along the performance scale, you've got to be a little bit more precise with it. But even that, like there's some wiggle room there and you, you'll adjust on the fly with a good coach and and someone who knows what they're doing from the athletic standpoint. But for everyone else, the the idea of a training week is completely arbitrary. And if you can remove that as a a limiting factor for feeling like success or failure, then you know that it's just the case of like picking your teeth up. Yeah, I didn't brush my teeth last night because I was super drunk and I couldn't be bothered and I passed out. But you still just brush your teeth again the next morning. You don't brush your teeth more in most cases. You don't then brush your teeth three times in six hours. You just brush it then and then you brush it again when you would next brush it anyway, right? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. And I think that has certainly, as even in the last couple of weeks, I've had a couple of discussions with people about that where it's like, oh, yeah, that actually makes it a much more open interpretation of whether you were successful or not. Because if you live a busy life and you got kids and a family and bills to pay and all that shit, some weeks you'll get one training session in and some you might get four. None of those are inherently better or worse from some objective measure because it's you doing what you can to get in the gym when you can. And if you can remove just one of those limiting beliefs around what is a, a training cycle or a week or whatever, then you're far more likely to not listen to the voice in your head that's like, oh, this whole week's a write-off because I only got one session in. Like, no. no, just pick up where you left off, get back on that horse and keep going because that's the only way you can do it consistently. That's right. So what I got from that is time is a human construct, man. <laughs> it's, yep, pretty much. Pretty made much. up. Made up. Uh, yeah, no, I I completely agree with all of that. And it's it really highlights, especially when you see this happening in real life, 
it really highlights the power of of beliefs that are unfounded or that are yeah. that are that are built on like sources that you can't fathom and we all have them whether Absolutely. we not want to admit them or can recognize them or not but when it's really stark in front of you like that like someone who has no experience with training and nutrition that has very strong beliefs of what proper training and nutrition looks like it's like how do you have these strong beliefs where have these come from and uh, often it's the worst possible sources <laughs> yeah you know, women's weekly or today tonight or you know something like that uh the morning show you know and so um our job is as the experts in these, these fields is to provide education without lecturing it's it's to provide yeah. guided education which again requires you to have conversations with these people that guides them gently to changing their beliefs to be closer to what is real and that'll only come if you can provide evidence and the best evidence that you can give them is evidence with themselves yes and uh, so no sorry uh, continue all i was going to say is until you've built trust and rapport uh with these people this is the art of coaching now because all of that is easy to say out loud in practice yes. it can be very difficult absolutely um, the art of coaching is that until you've built trust and rapport with these people Sometimes you have to feed into their beliefs a little bit and it's super cringe to have to do it in the moment. You know, you can't, you yeah. can't, especially if someone's beliefs are quite cooked, you can't just say, no, everything you believe is wrong because <laughs> it just won't work. They just won't. They'll be like, okay, I'll find someone who does say yes to everything I believe. I think, um, you know, up upon reflection, one of the things that I think makes me reasonably good at what I do is that I have just this uh, innate desire to question everything. Yes. Um, and I, and increasingly as I've, essentially as my understanding has become more solidified, like I am just more confident in my ability to problem solve and my understandings of the fundamental principles of things. It leaves you so much more room to just be like, mm, why do we do that? And why is that the way we do things? And maybe that's just a bullshit idea that someone came up with and we can, you know, reframe it completely. Because, like, the, the thing is, and especially as you get further into being a coach, you realise that, like, some really subpar intelligence people get fucking excellent results doing mm. some incredibly, like, objectively moronic things. <laughs> What it shows you is like actually just about anything will work given the right attitude and the right scenario. And that gives you this beautiful freedom to explore like maybe we can do it completely differently. And that like for me, that's what's made, you know, coaching really interesting is being able to take a, a principles based understanding and make it look completely different for two different individuals. Mm. Because the manifestation of those principles for person A who wants to be the strongest powerlifter they can be and person B who just wants to kick ass in their weekend soccer league, they look completely different in my head, but the underlying principles are all the same and we can suddenly question all these biases that we have around how things should be done or how they should be structured or things like that that then, you know, can often uncover some really beautiful experiences for people. Mm. A lot of the times it's just, when you're sitting there designing the program for someone asking yourself they want to do this and i don't have trust with this person so i'm going to have to lean into what they want to do i really don't want to do this but will this cause them any harm yeah and if it's exactly. relatively harmless 
you can put stuff into the program that's going to satisfy what they want and then you can build the rest of the program exactly how you want and the overwhelming thing will go in your direction but also satisfy them and 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 build trust and it can be tricky because of course you have to um balance between not confirming their beliefs so much so to the point where they just think they're right and essentially they just end up dictating their entire programming structure moving forward but sometimes you do have to lean into their beliefs so you can build some trust and rapport uh and a lot of the times it's just leaning a bit harder into your stuff once you've satisfied uh absolutely what, what they believe it's why one of the one of my favorite questions now is like what do you really like doing in like, what's the exercises you like in training, especially with someone who's trained for a little while? Like what is the exercise? If I put it in your program, you're going to be like, fuck yeah, I get to do preacher curls or fucking leg press or whatever, like whatever it is, I will in almost every circumstance, put it in their program mm. because that's the thing that helps them to be like, fuck yeah, I get to do this. But like, cool, I think that exercise is moronic and there are 16 different ways to do that in a much more effective manner. But for your first couple of training blocks, I'm just going to give you leg press because it makes you happy and that means you're going to enjoy the training process more mm. and ultimately get better results out of it. Mm. Which is coaching. Yes. Which is coaching. It's guiding them to find love and training so it does become more of an intrinsic drive. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the hard thing. If you're... Like the, the heart of this discussion, if you're someone who is intrinsically driven and don't, don't have to think about training, you don't know what it takes then to get someone to that point mm. because you can't, re you can't reverse engineer it, especially yeah. if you can't remember a time when you didn't have that. So like I fall into that camp. I can't remember a time where I had to think I, I have to get up and train. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that from day one of joining a gym, because generally people like you and I who are, um, quite driven in general will will find a huge amount of enjoyment and that enjoyment is enough to create the habit and then the habit creates the drive yeah and so for people who are going to the gym because they feel like they have to go to the gym if you've never experienced that like i've never experienced feeling like i have to get up and go to the gym because i need to do this for my health and my family i've always chosen to do it mm. um if you've never experienced that it's going to be really hard to reverse engineer it. The only reason you and I can do it, well, I can't speak for you completely, but the only reason I can do it is because I've worked with so many people who have been through that and so I've learned their journey. And so yeah. now I can speak to where they are at. But initially I, was, I probably fell a little bit into that camp of just like, just do it. Why aren't you yeah. doing it? I don't understand why you're not doing it. Yeah, I definitely fell into that camp up until about 2015, 2016. And that's when... Uh, like when I took over Burley or it became Burley was the start of 2016. And that was the thing that like, I think nearly killed my relationship with training hmm. uh, because it sort of became this thing I had to do as part of my job. And I'd taken training that was my escape from things and my, you know, therapeutic benefit thing and turned it into something that made it far less enjoyable for me. And that period between sort of 2016 and probably 2018, um, I like, you know, I didn't train more than I trained consistently across that period of time. Like I had a conversation with someone who was talking about uh, having felt like they would hit a plateau who'd been training for 18 months. I was like, in 20 years, I've taken that long off. Like I've mm. had 18 months where like, you know, that period I would have been lucky to string more than one or two training sessions together consistently in a week for a long time. 
Uh, and for me, it was then the pursuit of things like bouldering and mountain biking and, and running that have renewed my love for the process. And that's why I said to you in the last episode, I, I really am just training for the sake of training and for enjoying the process again and not feeling like it has heaps, has to have heaps of structure or has to be this preconceived notion of what I know to be training for myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and having that empathy now for people has made me an infinitely better coach because I've, I've been through that experience and I can speak to what it feels like to have been very good at something and then be very not good at it again and be in this position of going from someone who felt strong and powerful and capable and all of those things to feeling really pathetic and miserable because I was physically like really really wrecked and uh having come back through that arc yeah is a an experience that i'm i wouldn't wish on anyone like it wasn't fun um but it's been really nice to reflect back on how pivotal that has been in my both my acceptance of who i am as a person and and my general life happiness but also my abilities as a coach because i'm just a far more empathetic person now to the people that actually i see more of than i don't you know in that Mm. i get i seem to attract at barely because we've very much created a community of people that that is safe for everyone of all experiences and uh, and levels of uh performance I get a lot of people who are a little bit confronted by the prospect of like a big commercial gym as their first Mm. experience. And so they come to a place like that and being able to sit down and be like, look, I'm 30 kilos lighter than I was six, seven years ago, all through accidentally discovering a bunch of things that I really love doing and enjoyed the process. And that's how I got here is not because I did the perfect program or anything like that. It's because I fucking found some cool shit that made me really enjoy moving my body and working hard and doing all that kind of stuff. And I got results as a byproduct of that. And that's why I think more and more my, one of my core principles for coaching is you should be enjoying this. It should be fun. It shouldn't be easy all the time. There'll be times where it does feel like work, but it should be fun. You should be able to enjoy it. And if, as a coach, your your framework for training, programming, and, and all of that stuff is so rigid that you can't adapt to the person that doesn't enjoy steady-state cardio work or, or whatever that one piece is. If you can't adapt your methods to account for that person, you're going to have a really hard time keeping them for a long time. Mm. I think one, one probably, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess hidden attribute uh that that comes from uh an experience like yours is the identification in other people of of resilience Mm. Uh, like it's quite easy to reflect on your own life and i don't just mean you but you know the listener me whatever it's easy to reflect on your own life and and identify times where you've you've shown yourself resilience um but if you can truly reflect on that and then in conversations with people who are you know not intrinsically driven help them to find uh help them to find their own evidence of their resilience uh, it can be extremely powerful on that journey to changing beliefs and um i guess what i'm i guess where where that would go in terms of actually being something tangible is that a lot of people won't start something because they're at a busy or difficult period in their life and uh, being able to demonstrate that you're always going to come across busy and difficult periods of your life no matter what and that if you can if you can weather the storm if you can start something new 
then any easy time that you go through, this is going to be even easier. Like yeah. if you can start something new, if you can weather it, you know that no matter what life throws at you, you'll be able to, to hold on and keep going. And you've probably got evidence of that in other areas in your own life. Absolutely. Um, the, and, the Japanese proverb of um, <clears throat> the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago and the second best time is right now. Yeah, is love it. one of my favorite sayings when it comes to that because there's always going to be a, a better time and there's always going to be reasons not to. I think the sooner you just get on the wagon and roll, the better you're going to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I like, you know, w when the listener hears you talk about something like that journey that you went through, you know, you know, um, that's that experience of hating it all and then finding something new and everything like that. For me, who hasn't really had that experience with training, hearing it from someone else knows then I've got evidence. I've got you. I've got hundreds of other people who have experienced similar things. I've got evidence of what that looks like. And so I can be empathetic to those situations when it comes up. And this is the real art of being a coach. If you're not wired the same way as everyone else, particularly, you have to listen to people mm. and you have to notice archetypes. You have to notice these these journeys that people go through. So you can so you can be empathetic. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And I think part of that is also reflecting on your own journey because hmm. I, I think you can be the best listener in the world, but if you can't reflect on your own journey to get to where you are now and see the biases that come out of that, that or that have come as a result of your experiences, then you're going to struggle to make the connection between what you're hearing and what that person needs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, sometimes you have to go out of the same context to find that. Mm. So, so for me, like, I think I, I play the piano and I'm okay at piano, but I'm not getting any better. And I haven't gotten any better for a long time. And if I look back at the amount of times that I play and practice and try to get better, I can objectively go, have I put the work in to make me as good as I want to be? Because I want to be good. I want to be really good. And I know for a fact that I don't put the work in. And so if I sit down by myself and think, what would actually make me go and put the work in? Like, what do I need? What accountability do I need? What time do I need to put into this? I'm very well aware that I'm not prepared right now to put that time and work in. Yeah. And so if I had a coach that was guiding me through that, what would they need to say to me? What they'd need to do with me to get me to do that work? So thinking like that, I can think, okay, this person wants to be something wants to lose weight, wants to get jacked, wants to get strong. They're on a different level in terms of what they're willing to do. What do I need to do or say as a coach to help guide them through their beliefs, to help meet them on their level so they can set up strategies to take steps towards that. Yeah, that's it. That's the episode, sure. Sweet, I've had enough. Excellent. Goodbye. Love you, bye.